Welcome to the Farcast here at Shadron State College, where we're talking to interesting people from the college and hopefully beyond as we get to future episodes. I'm Daniel Binkert with my co-host Alex Helmbrecht here, and we're talking to Dr. Josh Ellis from the Family and Consumer Science Department. Uh, Family and Consumer Sciences Department. I want to make sure I get that right. (laughs) And you're an associate professor over there. How many years have you been here at Shadron? This is my sixth year here. All right. And where were you at before? Give us kind of a breakdown of your your, uh, life leading up to Shadron State College. Well, I went to undergrad at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Um, Did my undergrad and graduate work there. Then I worked at National American University in Rapid City for about 10 years. I was the program director for the athletic training education program. Um, Then when they phased that out, I had to find something else to do. So I worked as an ergonomics for an occupational medicine group. I would go around and watch people work and try and help them work safer. Um, I hated that job, but I did that for about three years. It was, I mean, just the people, the management, usually they were bringing me in because they had had an accident on work. So they didn't want me there. And then the workers were afraid that I was going to put some regulations into place where it would take their job away. So uh, it was, it was not a pleasant job. So I did that for a few years and um, I've also done outreach um, for athletic training. I'm a certified athletic trainer. So I've done outreach for high schools. Um, see what also do some personal training. I've done some of that. Um, and then then when the job opened up here, I applied and got in here and enjoyed every bit of it. So every day I walk on campus, I smile. Well, every day now that I step out of my 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 dorm room, I smile when I see ca- the campus. So it's been a very, very good change for me. That's right. You are faculty in residence. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And tell us a little bit about that. What's okay. going on there? Yeah, a few years ago, we had the strategic enrollment management team um, kind of gathered some information from students about what they'd like to see and um, I remember they had a list, and there was faculty in the dorms on the list, and Alex was sitting next to me, and he pointed to it, and we both went, that's a horrible idea, and who would want to do that? And then, sure enough, about a month or two later, uh, David Kendrick approached me and thought that I would be a good candidate since my family lived in Rapid City, and I was living here, so he kind of asked, you know, if I would be interested in it, and said, yeah, right away, but then over the course of the summer, I just kept second guessing. I just wanted to call David and say, I don't want to do this. So I was afraid I would lose too much um, my free time, basically, which hasn't happened. But so I had a lot of reservations, but then finally I decided to give it a go. So last year was a pilot and this year they just, um, Austin decided to try it again. So it's going well. Great. So I just put on like monthly programming and then I'm available in the lobby of Edna for usually about two nights a week. I'll hang out there. And the idea was to kind of bring faculty to the students, um, especially first year faculty or first year students that kind of helps them put a human face on faculty and realize that we're not that scary and easily approachable. And um, so more of a resource for the students is kind of what the intention was. So. How successful has that been uh, with, let's say, with regard to student interaction? Are they coming to you? Yeah, I get a lot of interaction there. And then also in the, the cafeteria, um, probably get most of my interaction over at the pack. Um, when you're lifting weights and things like that, I guess. Sure. When everybody's wearing shorts, I guess it makes it more approachable. I don't know what it <laughs> is, but so. <laughs> it seems like it's more approachable over there. We're all hanging out, you know, watch. And it's interesting to kind of eavesdrop on the bro science that's floating around the, the weight room all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> then I can bring it up in class. <laughs> so That is a good connection. Bro science. You've got to elaborate on that. It, yeah. Bro science is basically um, when the 
guy with the biggest arms in a gym has got people standing all around him and he's preaching about how he got the biggest arms in the gym, you know. The, the Aristotle <laughs> yeah. of the weight room. Yeah. <laughs> or if you got the thickest hair, how did you get that? I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not me giving that talk. But So it's just fun to eavesdrop on them. You know, they're talking, act, they'll be talking about the program that they're following or nutrition that they're following and um, some of their um, facts that they're spouting off about. And it's just fun listening to them and... <laughs> <laughs> I never confront him and say, yeah, no, that's that. I don't want to be that guy, but it's, it's just fun listening to him. So. <laughs> so is it true Edna is haunted? I think for towards the last few weeks of every semester, it seems to be haunted by some kind of pale looking students that are shuffling around the halls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I, I haven't experienced anything uh, out of the ordinary. It's quiet. I mean, that's my Last year at the pilot program, the first three weeks, I thought I was the only person on third floor. I'd look out my door because I was used to the dorms that I went to school in where it was just chaos, you know, for sun up to sundown. But they're pretty quiet. Um, and I knew it was going to be a little bit different experience when the World Series was on last year and I had the big screen all to myself. So nobody was <laughs> biding for space on the big screen. So, um, but no, it's, it's nice. It's, all, it's more like a motel than a, I mean, it's just nice, comfortable. Um, probably the biggest takeaway I've had from that program is just seeing how well Shattern takes care of their students. I mean, it's just, I don't see them wanting of anything. Um, and takes very good care of them. They're safe. And they have access to good food and workout facilities. And Sea Hills is a nice place to hike. And so very well taken care of. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. I know I've found out that I don't leave campus hardly at all when I get here during the week now, so it's easy to see it as my little town. It's kind of like... <laughs> well, one of the things you mentioned is that eating in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. um, do students get recommendations for food or talk to you about the nutrition of the, of the food over there? Sometimes. And the biggest thing is that it helps me get an idea of what they're eating there. So in class, when they complain about not being really healthy, I can set them straight and say, sure. wow, you could eat this or that. And um, so it's... And a lot of times when they sit down and eat with me over there, it's just to, to visit. And um, I think last year I had maybe three students that sat down. I don't go sit with students that are sitting by themselves because, like, maybe they want to eat by themselves. It's <laughs> nothing wrong with eating by yourself. Yeah. But but if they approach me to sit with me, I've had, like I said, last year about three. This year so far I've had two people that have came and sat down with me or invited me to sit with them at their table. So, um, And it's, I think it's a little bit... They're less guarded when you're sitting around a table eating around, you know, eating food. And um, I know sometimes they can be a little bit apprehensive when they know you teach nutrition or afraid you're going to judge everything on their plate, which I never would externally anyway. You know, you're always, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to shame anybody for as long as I always tell them if I see you in Walmart with a Walmart or a cart full of Twinkies, I'm not going to judge you. But uh, so. So it says here you are into hiking, biking, running, rock hunting, woodworking, and Irish music. Let's talk about woodworking. Okay. <laughs> what, what sort of woodworking do you do? Uh, I like taking like um, um, old barn wood or just old wood and repurposing it as um, like I have a log cabin that me and a buddy built in Montana and the whole interior is outfitted with um, the tables, the countertops, everything was built from old barn wood. So just giving old wood new purpose. Um, so now everywhere I look in the, the cabin, I can, you know, I see things that I've made from an old barn that I collected wood from where my parents live up in North Dakota. And, um, and there's just nothing that compares to the way old wood looks. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And you start sanding it, you know, some of the, the colors and the textures come out of it. And 
And you think right. of all the people that, like I have a ladder at the cabin that I took from an old barn in North Dakota um, that was used to lead up to the hayloft in that barn. So I always think, you know, how many people scurried up and down this ladder in the hundred years that it was in that barn. So now I scurry up and down it up to the loft in our cabin. So, That's great. Uh, yeah, it's just nice to have some meaning behind everything, I guess. That, so so that's probably the main thing I use it for, is just find old wood and turn it into something. Now, what style, what sort of tools are you using? Are you a power tool guy or a hand tool I guy? I prefer hand tools. Just um, like sanding, I'll generally use power tools, but I, sure. I lean more towards hand tools. And working on the cabin, we did almost all of that, other than the chainsaw work by hand. Um, so I have a couple of my, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers was big into woodworking. So he had all the, the hand planers and the, right. the bit and, but you know, the drills and all that. So I have some of his tools, which I like to use those too, cause it's kind of, you know, you, my grandpa held these same tools, you oh, know, absolutely. so it's kind of nice to, you see the worn grips on them. It's same thing with rocking chairs. I have a thing with wooden rocking chairs, you know, it's just, um, you know, the handles are worn by all the people that have sat in them. And so I guess I'm a bit too nostalgic when it comes to some of those things, but oh, that can be fun. <laughs> so is this a lifelong um, hobby passion for you? Yeah, I, I started um, working with wood, just watching my grandfather when I was like 10 or so. I'd go over and watch him in his, he had a small shop in his garage and I would just hang out and watch him work with wood. And it was just interesting. He kind of did the same thing. He built their entire house off of reclaimed lumber from houses that they tore down in the area. And my dad remembers having to hammer nails out of lumber so that my grandpa could use it to right. build a house. And he's, as a kid, he said it was miserable, you know, you're <laughs> recycling all of it. Um, but it was just amazing to see a pile of lumber, what my grandpa, he would see something on in a magazine, like a chair, and then he'd go build it. You know, it was just, so it was always neat, I thought, to be able to bring something like that into existence. It was, I like to build useful things like chairs, and which I'm always working on the chair design. And I like building out of wood because if it turns out crap, you can just burn it. So. <laughs> or <laughs> no evidence. Reclaim, yeah. reclaim the wood. Yeah, you know? try yeah. something else. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was kind of where I got started, just watching my my grandpa and, and my dad both. They worked together to build our house when I was a kid. So just watching them always building something was always getting added on. Because the house I grew up in was like a 100-year-old farmhouse, and they'd gradually added on rooms around it. Then it burned down, but <laughs> had a good run. <laughs> Good. You ever had any hairy situations trying to reclaim wood from a barn? <laughs> no, I always get permission first. Okay, I, yeah, okay. that's that's stuff that I the most of the bulk of my wood came from one barn in North Dakota, and I, my dad knew the owners, and so I asked the guy if I could take any lumber from it. And he said you can take the whole barn if you want it, and because the roof was starting to cave in, and when I went inside of it, there was stables full of tongue and groove lumber that they had just stored in there. Um, I mean, it was just wood. I mean, those beams were just massive beams in there. So it was kind of fun to go in and, you know, just cut some of those out and take them back and clean them. I usually use like a plan, planer and plane, the, plane them down a little bit. And then like the kitchen cabinets at the cabin, I put like six layers of lacquer on them so that they're protected. And mm -hmm. um, I try and keep it as natural color as possible just because Nothing worse than seeing wood that's been painted. So yeah. <laughs> makes you sick. <laughs> Some of that wood, though, I mean, I've been amazed. I mean, it's pricey. You know, oh, you can yeah. make like a mantelpiece out of some piece of the, the barn. It mm -hmm. goes for thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that's that guy. That's why I asked the guy, because I know you can sell that wood mm -hmm. for so much. But he had no interest in selling it. And he just said, take what you want. So I loaded up a huge flatbed full of barn wood and hauled it back. 
to South Dakota and <laughs> went to work on it. So I don't know how much lead-based paint I inhaled, but <laughs> you're still it's here. all part of the experience. <laughs> Is that part of the ketosis diet? Yeah. Uh, lead-based paint. Oh, boy. <laughs> Tell us about FOOM. It's kind of a lead-off of the dining with students in the mm -hmm. cafeteria. And I see this email every other Monday. Yeah. <laughs> What's FOOM? Uh, I, was, I started it about three years ago. It's the Fellowship of Odd Mondays. Um, and so every odd-dated Monday, I send out an all-CSE email um, just to meet in the cafeteria if you have the time, if you want to. And um, so when I first came here, the first three years I was here, I just ate by myself over at... Um, uh, over in Burkheiser, we have a kitchen over there, so I would just eat over there by myself all the time, but it got kind of boring, and I like to, it's fun to interact with everybody on campus. I enjoy learning about where they came from, their backgrounds, and um, so I thought that'd be a good way to maybe see who would show up. Uh, first few I sent out, I was worried that I was going to get in trouble for sending an all-campus email without consulting anybody first, so, um, but I've never gotten any, had any issue with it, but and usually it's about the same six to eight people that kind of show up. A few different yeah. ones will filter in now and then. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like today it was FOOM day, but I wasn't able to be there because I had a meeting at noon. But I still send out the FOOM email, and whoever's there is there. So You're the unofficial chair of, of FOOM. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to wait till I arrive to eat or anything. So. <laughs> well, you kind of – I think you're kind of known on campus for reply all emails because of the, the softball one that came out a few years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah, that one – I was in tears in my office. I was laughing so hard. And that was another one where I thought I was going to get in trouble after the – so I sent out an email after it when people started replying all. I sent out, please do not reply all. And then I think it was Catherine Barr said, no, no, I, these are great. Yeah, no, keep, them, like keep them going, yeah. Because I was afraid I was the next email was going to be from the president telling me, <laughs> knock it off, I need to see you in my office, because I was my first semester here. And so, yeah, it was for a softball, co-ed softball tournament that they were having. Was it students versus faculty or students yeah. versus staff? Yeah, it was, we got routed bad. I mean, <laughs> the only thing I was concerned about was that somebody was going to get hurt when I showed up. And <laughs> we're all standing there. And, you know, we didn't look like a softball. Well, we looked like a softball team, but we didn't look like an athletic softball team. But the, <laughs> A good one. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the students started rolling in. You know, they got their shirt sleeves ripped off, and they look like athletes. I'm like, oh, God, we're going to get killed. <laughs> and I was just concerned somebody was going to take one in the teeth that was pitching or playing third base and – um, so Bob Knight played third base. He was over there in jeans and a button-up short sleeve shirt. He blocked everything that got <laughs> through him, got over there. And he did a great job. And um, Dean Tucker pitched a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the reply alls were because I asked, um, tell me why you should be a part of this team. So a lot of them took it as an opportunity to have, like, a verbal tryout. And some of them yeah. were just hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Dean Tucker's, I was in tears in that my was, office. That was fantastic. <laughs> recalling his his youth being shunned and picked last. And <laughs> but yeah, I was in tears in my office just laughing at those. So. That was my, my first introduction to you. I was like, who is Josh Ellis? <laughs> is this is like the purveyor of softball? What is going on? Was that before or after you did your Graves presentation on the, uh, nutritional ketosis? I think it was before, okay. I believe. Yeah, was that in? Uh, I, I oh, forget now what the time because I knew who you were at that time, yeah, and I might have been say, after because okay. I because I think we had the softball tournament was in the spring because I think they used to do a, that tournament every spring, 
Yeah, and I think I did the Graves lecture in the fall when I first came. So yeah, J- Josh owns the record for most yeah. views. Doesn't I have he? to check the numbers again. I'm pretty sure your your video still has the most views Does of it? anyone on our channel, <laughs> which is which is good. It, yeah, it's a good high subject. praise. That's yeah. high praise. Yeah, it's an, I mean it's an interesting topic, and it's real. I was kind of on the front end of it. I guess now it's just blowing up all over the place. Um, and I stumbled onto it completely by accident because one of the when I first came here six years ago, one of the students, I was teaching nutrition for sport, and we were talking about carb loading one day, for which I ran marathon and things like that. And so we were talking about how to carb load, and a student brought up fat loading. He said, well, could you fat load? I'm like, that sounds ridiculous, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so I started Googling, you know, fat loading, and ketogenic diet popped up. So I told the students that I would try it for a month and just tell them how big of a failure it is, that you, you can't compete, you can't lift weights, you can't be active. And six years later, I'm still on it. So, I mean, it's, um, I just, it works for me. I understand it doesn't work. Nothing works. There is no one size fits all for diets, but it worked great for me. Um, the biggest thing I noticed was just the cognitive clarity. I felt like I was much clearer mentally because before I was more carb based. It was like every two hours I had to eat something or I'd get hangry. Um, so, you know, you'd eat breakfast at seven and be rummaging through your desk drawer at eight or nine for a bar or something like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like I got a more steady state of energy and um, just much clearer, clearer cognitively. Um, I don't have to be standing in front of the podium with lecture notes. It just seems like everything just flows so much better. But And what's the, like, what's the elevator speech on, on a ketogenic diet? Pretty much it's a high, high fat, so generally 75-80% of your daily caloric intake comes from fat, and then about 15% from protein, and then about 5% from carbohydrates and so it's high fat moderate protein and low carbohydrate and and the carbohydrate sources should be your fruits and vegetables mainly that you're getting that from so um, and it sometimes it takes up takes about six weeks for someone to get fully into what they call ketosis which Mm -hmm. it's the only diet that you can actually measure a biomarker on that you can measure how many ketones you have in your in your blood Hmm. by you prick your finger just like you would when you measure your glucose for diabetes and um, it'll tell you Generally, it's considered to be in ketosis when your um, blood ketones are 0.5 to are over about 0.5 to one millimolars. So, so it's it's one of those few diets where you can actually look at a biomarker and say, oh yeah, I'm in ketosis. And um, and I don't I don't check my blood anymore. I mean, I'm not as strict. When I first started, I was very strict just because I was on the experimental side of it, just seeing what effect it would have. And um, I enjoy it. Like I said, I continue to do it now. And I think it's a pretty easy way to eat for me because um, I'm not hungry. Like if I missed lunch, I'd be fine for till supper. Um, so I feel like I'm less tied to food. Whereas before it was like every two hours I had to be hunting something down or I was <laughs> just... See, I, I, did the, I did the whole 30 with my wife a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of similar to ketosis. You don't have legumes or dairy okay. products, things yeah. like that. And I was always hungry, and I ate probably five pounds of almonds <laughs> in 30 days yeah. and plantain chips and uh, just like these weird things yeah. that you would normally never eat, but I began craving them. Well, the high fat helps with this uh, higher amount of fat and then the protein. So, I mean, everything you're eating tastes great. And, it's, you know, it's things that we were told we weren't supposed to eat for the last 40 or 50 years. And I think the paradigm is finally shifting on, you know, butter is not going to kill you and things like that. Yeah. The saturated fat is a big thing that... You know, the, the science used, everything was low fat, you know, no fat back in the 80s is kind of when that started. And 
Um, so I always tell my students it was a miserable time to be a kid because all the moms were cranky and <laughs> pissed off because they were not eating it. <laughs> well, I, I think it's good to be intentional about what you're eating. Oh, yeah. 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 Give That's, us a, a sample, Josh. Uh, during a normal week, what are the types of foods that you have day to day? Like in the morning, I'd, I was never a big breakfast eater, but in the morning I have co- what they call fatty coffee or bulletproof coffee. So I'll have um, coffee with butter, heavy whipping cream, and uh, coconut oil in it. Um, and I could, if I just drank that for breakfast, I'd be good for the rest of the day. I don't have to. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> a cup of oil with yeah. a dollop yeah. of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a 500-calorie cup of coffee, and about 90% of it is fat. So, I mean, I, I could be just fine. And when I start, first started the diet, that was a problem. I was I was so satiated that I, went, I would skip lunch because um, I just wasn't hungry. And then I would just eat, like, one real meal a day, and I got – I wasn't doing it to lose weight, but I went from 165 down to like 148, and my my wife told me I look like hell, and <laughs> so I so I started squeezing in a lunch meal because I just needed to to maintain the weight that I needed to, to maintain, and um, so now for like lunch I'll eat generally uh, some greens with a lot of olive oil. I, I use a lot of olive oil on the, the greens with some sort of protein source like chicken or beef or pork or anything like that. So usually for lunch, I'll have just, like if I'm at home, we'll have leftover steak or something. I'll just chop that up and throw it on my st- on a salad or right. um, eat a lot of omelets um, with, you know, bacon or steak, whatever meat we have left over, I'll put it in an omelet. So I'll make lots of omelets. And then generally for supper is some sort of protein source like um, beef or steak, or beef, and pork or chicken or something like that. But so generally two real meals a day. Um, like I said, it could get by with just one, but it's hard to maintain the right. appropriate amount of weight that I need. And, um, but makes my wife want to slap me when I have to eat an extra meal to maintain my weight. But <laughs> So if Daniel and I would have brought a plate of cookies in here today and set them on the table, you wouldn't have touched them. Uh, I'd probably have one. My, my wife makes great chocolate chip cookies and great banana bread, so I, I'm not going to not eat hot banana bread right out of the oven. And, oh, no way. Or the cookie dough. I don't mind the cookie dough I'd be more tempted for than the actual cookies. So my wife will always save me some cookie dough when she's making chocolate chip cookies. And, and that's why I tell the students it's important to have some balance because yeah. they call that, um, what is it, orthorexia, when you basically you're, the way you eat ruins your life because you're, you can't go to a birthday party and nobody will probably invite you because you're going to swat cookies out of people's hands all day long. <laughs> so you become that annoying person that, but you can't go to anywhere because you're always concerned about, well, are they going to have anything for me to eat at that restaurant? And um, so it's important to be able to let go and just eat. Because, I mean, eating is such an uh, important part of our lives, just kind of the way we get together socially. And mm-hmm. so you, you don't want to ruin that by not being able to partake in that portion of life. So, And I think when I first started, I was a lot more on that annoying side. But uh, um, I've kind of backed off away from that to more of a moderate approach to it. And so... And is it easy to, to do your diet at the cafeteria? Yep. Yeah, I haven't had any problems there. Um, like for lunch, the salad, just use my fat source generally at lunch is probably all, more olive oil so than anything else. But they have good selection of protein, a lot of chicken, and mm-hmm. um, this year we've had some good beef too. So um, and at home we buy our beef from my wife's hairdresser's husband. I know that sounds weird, but um, (laughs) she doesn't get her hair done at a meat locker. um, (laughs) Her 
her hairdresser's husband raises cattle, so we always buy beef from him. And then um, Teresa Frank's husband, E.J. Frank, uh, he raises um, pigs, so we get a yeah. hog from him. So, And we get our eggs from people we know. So it's kind of nice just to know the source of your food. Oh, and, absolutely. Um, and it's amazing how much different it tastes. And yep. it's, It always was crazy to me that you'd go to the store here and you'd see beef that was from Brazil. It's like, there's cows all around. Do we really need to ship something all the way? <laughs> yeah, that is something. <laughs> but. Josh, if you weren't teaching, what would you be doing? Uh, probably bartending. I, I like bartending. I was when I, when I was in college, I bartended for a few years, and um, it was just fun. You got to visit with people, and then when you got to the point where you didn't want to visit with them, you just wander off and act like you were busy. But uh, <laughs> but as a bartender, <laughs> you always had control of the TVs, and you always had you know the control of the drinks. So nobody ever wants to upset the bartender because he might ask you to leave or ignore you. Or um, so I. I think I bartended two or three years in college, and like I said, it was just fun. You're up moving around, and um, but yet you're you have your space. I I never want to be a server. I mean, there you're, that's like the wild west out there. My daughter and my wife have both been servers, and I don't know how they do it. I mean, I, I like being behind the bar and just <laughs> more of a controlled environment. I guess. Now, were you, now you were you like in the Tom Cruise cocktail mode, <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> we or? did try some. <laughs> So that was the 1994, I think, is when I started. Oh, yeah, that was probably part, big oh, back yeah. then. Yeah, I tried the spinning the vodka bottles one time, and vodka went in my eye. That was, <laughs> you don't look very cool behind the bar when you're, you've got tears running out of one eye and vodka on the side of your face. And so that was the end of the, the Tom Cruise. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Cocktail. Cocktail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so no, I enjoy bartending. So, What type of bar would you want to work in? Describe uh, it for us. I think I like being a bar that kind of specializes in cocktails. Um, that's what I was. My daughter came home to live with us over the summer, and I always break out the shaker at about six o'clock. Me and my wife have cocktail hour now because we're empty nesters. But my oh, wife, yeah. my daughter's like, "Is this what you guys do now?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> why so, not?" <laughs> so we make Manhattans and all those types of fancy drinks. I think I'd like to bartend in a place that made cocktails and. Maybe had sold cigars. I like to have a cigar once in a while, but I wouldn't want to be in the in the haze of it. But <laughs> to maybe have a section of it where you could uh, have cigars, cocktails, of course, a little Guinness. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I'd peg you to be at an Irish pub that, so you <laughs> yeah. could sing yeah, those folk songs. That's right. That was the most amazing thing when we were in Ireland. Is just um, you'd be standing there, and all of a sudden, a song would start. Somebody'd start singing. And everybody in the bar would just shut up and listen. And then when the song was over, everybody would go right back to their conversation. <laughs> First time it happened, I was like, what just happened here? And it was just, it was beautiful. I mean, somebody would just start singing and everybody would just listen. And everybody there knows the same songs because these songs are hundreds of years old. So um, that was my whole intent to going to Ireland was just listen to music, travel around the country, <laughs> listen to music. And I wasn't disappointed. So That's awesome. So what are some, you mentioned woodworking. What are some other interests outside of, of your profession? Um, I like playing. I started messing around with guitar when I was in graduate school. My parents bought me a guitar for my graduate school graduation. Um, and so I've gradually been kind of teaching myself over the last 20 years how to. <laughs> so that's one thing that I, and just this past year, my brother challenged me to play in public. So I started going to open mics just to um, appease my brother. And it, it was First few times was horrible. I mean, I, my hands were shaking so bad I could barely even play the guitar, and it felt like my tongue was twice the size of my head. And um, but it's one of those things. I'm glad he challenged me to do it because now it's, it's I don't 
it's not that bad anymore. I'll go out and do it. But um, so guitar, I like biking, hiking. Um, like I said, rock hunting is fun, um, especially the, I, the specific rock I'm generally looking for is the Fairburn agates, which are specific to this area. Um, How old are those? Uh, most of those are like is it 60 million years old, they figure. So that most of them washed out of like the Black Hills back millions of years ago and then okay. just have ended up. Like there's some over by Crawford. You can find some over there and kind of stretching from Crawford all the way to uh, the middle of the Black Hills, basically. So so I got into that a few years back. A buddy of mine was a rock hunter, and I thought it was stupid. You'd walk around looking at your feet. I was like, I like to enjoy the scenery. And then I found a Fairburn agate, and I was hooked. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I've been doing it for maybe five or six years, and I've only found maybe five or six Fairburns. They're, they're hard to find. So. Well, that's just an excuse. More fresh air, more, yeah, more yeah, hiking. Yeah. yeah. So it's fun to go out and just a walk for a while and then look for a while. And um, I've been, I thought I could train my dog maybe to find them, but you know, he hasn't. He just likes to bomb around the place and <laughs> play in this, the swamp. But the, um, nobody else in my family enjoys it. I, I make them go out for Father's Day to rock hunt with me. And <laughs> it's miserable for them, but it's my right as a father. Yeah, it's, you get one day yeah. a year. Well, I figure when the kids were little, we'd end up doing for Father's Day whatever it is they thought you wanted to do, which was go to the park or, you know, of course. So now it's I can do it, make them do what I think I want to do. Payback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. One, of the, one of those other outside interests also is kind of, I guess, would be an inside interest. Uh, Zen and the art, of, Zen and the art of motorcycle mm-hmm. maintenance. You you teach about it, but yet you also kind of have a personal connection to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the book um, I started using for the capstone. I think it was about three years ago because um, the, the the whole title is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance: uh, Inquiry into Values. And so I I saw the capstone as an inquire into values basically that they're I'm having the students look back over their last four years or so of college and trying to put it all together and see what kind of value they've got out of that um and so that was kind of the the premise and I think it's a good introduction to philosophy um I'm not a philosopher I'm not an English major or anything like that but it it was it's just one of those books that every time I read it it's one of those books that I'll just drop on the on the couch or wherever I'm sitting and just because it just blows your mind. Some of the some of the things that he says is just very deep and profound. And he's a very good writer. I like his second book, Lila, I didn't care so much about. But um, and it's just an interesting book that I think most of the students can relate to. So I have them read um, each chapter. They have to pick out their favorite quote and then tell me what, what how that quote relates to them personally. Um, and I realize that they could just flip it open and pick a first sentence they see and write. <laughs> but I think the majority of them, just from what I gather from class, they're, they're actually reading it and enjoying it. And um, I mean, it came out in 1974. So I mean, it's been around for, for a while. And most of them, it's a book that they probably never would read if it wasn't assigned mm-hmm. to them in a class. So um, what's your favorite quote? Um, I like the one was it the um, to live was it to live life only for certain goal is shallow or was it something regarding um, life is sustained on the sides of the mountains, not the top. Something, something like that. I can't remember it word for word, but yeah, the, sure. <laughs> but the gist of it is mm-hmm. that you enjoy life basically that just keeping your eye on one still, you know, one goal of making, you know, want to become a millionaire or something like that, that um, you'll miss out on a lot of other things. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's got a lot of good life lessons in it. And, you know, it's basically a guy that, um, goes on a motorcycle trip with his 12-year-old son from Minneapolis to 
to the West Coast. And, um, and it's kind of along the way, the person that he used to be um, and was medically forced to stop being starts to show up again. And there's kind of a conflict between who he's become and who he used to be. And so the book is kind of that playing out of that conflict. And so it's interesting. So I think we all have some sort of conflict like that, sure. who we used to be and who we are, and yeah. <laughs> where we're headed. So no, it's an interesting book. Uh-oh. And you actually sought out the author's office, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, he, he was an English professor at uh, Montana State. My daughter was going to Montana State, so I, I took my copy of the book and sought out his office to get my picture taken in front of it. I'm sure I'm not the only person that's done that, but it felt kind of weird stalking <laughs> through. And because it's an administrative office now, it's not the um, humanities department or anything. So it's, I think his office is actually a big janitorial closet now. But the, so I went and stood in front of it with my book, and had, my wife took my picture. And <laughs> was there anything saying it? This is uh, no. Robert Persig's office. No, there's or? nothing there. That um, he just passed away about two years ago, and he'd spoken on campus several times, but. Um, he actually never, I think he only worked there like two years and that's where he went insane because he was looking mm-hmm. for, um, what quality means. That's was that's the question that drove him insane, searching for qu- what, what does quality and value mean? And he basically just lost it. And, um, he's very intelligent, but he's very much in his own head. I mean, it's, uh, um, so yeah, he basically went insane and they had, they did electrical shock treatment on him like they used to do back then where they put mm. the rubber wedge in your mouth and put the electrodes on the side of your head and basically zap the demons out of them, <laughs> or so they thought. <laughs> well, I think it's a happy story. Yeah, that is. Yeah. <laughs> in, talking about offices, college relations maybe needs to work on something where we, this is the office of Daniel Pinker oh, from, from 2000 to present. Or so, you know. I yeah. When I moved into Burkheiser, I thought that'd be neat to have outside the office a list of each faculty member that had been in that office. Yeah. So I think it'd be kind of neat to kind of know, you know, where, what you're getting into, you know, who, who had this office before me. And I know Burkheiser is one of the newer ones, but like old admin, you know, and when I walk through Absolutely. the halls of Edna, when I'm walking up the steps of Edna, I always think how many students have walked up and down these yeah. steps since yeah. this place opened. From 1932. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just amazing it's to think of all the different people that have, and where yeah. they are now and yeah. what they became and what they'd hoped to become and, you know, how many of them actually became that, you know, it's just, yeah, absolutely. it's just fun to think of those things. So I think it'd be cool to have each office kind of have a, who was here, kind of a plaque or something. Yeah. <laughs> some variety. I, I think that building has been a residence hall the entire time. Yeah. It's, it's had other pieces in it, but yeah. there's always been people living there. Mm-hmm. But we look at uh, old admin where it, you know, the, the academic portion, the administrative portion, yeah. uh, what what else? Because they had, that was everything back. Yeah, the, yeah. When the, the president the first that opened. was the college. Yeah. I think the president's yeah. office is where the or used to be where the education department is now. Right, where those offices are. Yeah, because in that Sparks, corner. Yeah, and Sparks and Kreitz used to be residence halls. Yeah, where we're in right mm-hmm. now recording this, the yeah. basement of Kreitz Hall, which was a museum, oh. and it's still engraved on the the, the yep. doors of the basement here, the museum, and, mm-hmm. and then recreation on the other one. I I don't know what they did for recreation though. Ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Table tennis. That's <laughs> yeah, Sparks was, uh, I think it was also faculty housing. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, yes, yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting, all the history of the buildings. Yeah. That they're not, they're, their purpose now is not generally what it no. was when they were designed. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing to have just a plaque outside each door. Yeah. Say, who's came before you? And there's always... I always thought, you know, when someone retires, it's like they just all of a sudden they're just 
they just disappeared. They're gone, yeah. And the freshmen coming in, they don't know that person ever existed, you know, unless they've yeah. been on campus for some reason. But, yeah, you have someone who puts in, gives most of their life to a place, and then all of a sudden they just they just don't exist anymore. <laughs> well, that'd be distinctive enough that they leave those stories behind. So yeah. You, you wouldn't believe what this guy did. <laughs> yeah. This guy got... He didn't get fired. He got canned. <laughs> he didn't have one office. He had four. Yeah, his tradition. <laughs> no, that's kind of an interesting yeah. philosophical question. What, what, what would you hope your tradition, what would you like to leave behind here at CSC? Um, I th- hopefully the FOOM continues. Um, and then uh, I think the faculty and residents, I think that's a good deal. Hopefully that continues and maybe we can expand it to other, other areas. Um, for the most part, I think, well, I mentioned when I, when I came here, it was the same year my daughter started college in Montana State, so we were both freshmen basically together. And, yeah. and it, it af, the way I taught that year is different than the way I teach now because of that, because I, I started seeing every student in my class as my daughter. You know, so I right. became the professor that I hoped my daughter was getting at college. And um, so that's kind of, I guess, how I'd like just that, um, that I cared for the students and authentically cared for them and um, you know, where they go in life is of an interest to me. Um, just who they are as people. I, um, that's kind of one of the greatest things about this job. I get to be a part of such a transition in their lives. You know, they're moving from yeah. one chapter to the next. And um, as I tell them, they've spent most of their life up to this point being told who they are and what they're going to do. And now they get a chance to to be who they, you know, seek out who they think they are. And, and that may not, that may take several years to if not forever, to figure out who the sure. hell they are, you know. It's a, Do you have uh, past students uh, getting back in touch with you? Yep. Yeah, every once in a while I get an email from, you know, someone just kind of checking in. Um, and usually you can kind of tell which students that's probably going to be just because they, they took an interest in the topic that you were teaching right. or the way you taught it. Um, and they so they get an email once in a while. I'm just checking in to see how things are going. And it's always nice to hear. And, and that prompted me to contact my professors that I had, because I had a student send me an email and I was like, you know, it made me feel, feel good. So I'm like, well, yeah. maybe I should reach out to the, the professors that, that I was with at Northern State that kind of watching them do their job motivated me to want to become a professor just because it looked like they had such a enjoyable life. Um, you know, you get to learn about things that you enjoy and then share it with people that most of them en- <laughs> want to listen, you know, but yeah. the, um, so I, I emailed several of the professors that I had as an undergrad, and they were all very glad to, to hear from me and catch up a little bit because most of them had moved on from Northern since since I was there. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was trying to do things that I've asked the students to do. If I ask a student to do something in class, I'll do it myself too just to – I don't want to be hypocritical about it. Like in my aging and um, dying class, they have to have a senior partner. So I picked my mom. I asked her to be my senior partner, and, yeah. which – Took her about a month to agree to it. She, she wasn't too keen on being my senior partner. <laughs> a little wording issue. Here. Yeah, <laughs> my experienced partner. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it's been great, and I think all the students they really enjoy it too because it gives them an opportunity to connect with someone that they most of them pick somebody in their family, like a grandparent or somebody that, and it's somebody that they've been around their whole life, but they've probably never asked pointed questions to about aging and death and things like that. So it kind of gives them an opportunity to do that under the guise of ac- academia. You know, it's, like, right. it's not me asking these questions. It's my <laughs> professor that's making me ask these questions. But and they all, I mean, it's 
it's basically a discussion-based class, which most of mine are. I give them assignments outside, and then I give them questions, and then we, when they come to class, we just discuss the classes. And um, that's the way most students are used to, you know, being lectured at. So it's a little more work put on them. To they have to talk during class rather than listen. So that was good practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're probably developing really good critical thinking skills. Yeah. and they get and they rotate it, make sure they get rotated around so they meet everybody in the class, and um, you know, so they learn to to discuss things with their peers and to be more open minded is the big thing. Because I have three B's that I make them do, and beginning of the year I tell them to be humble is the one thing you know to realize that you may not know everything, and to be able to accept somebody else's point of view and be willing to change your mind if they present evidence that supports that and. Um, so I always tell them to be humble and be curious, you know, always be a lifelong learner and, um, I don't remember what the other B is. Oh, be nice. That's my grandma's. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, her last thing I was going yeah. up, you know, be nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, now most people might not know this about you, but you mm-hmm. write a weekly column for your hometown newspaper and it's called ramblings, right? Yep. What do you write yeah. about? Basically anything and everything. The, uh, I started in 2006, um, it's the Burke County Tribune. It's I think it's circulated to about 5,000 people, maybe. Um, the town I grew up in is in Burke County, North Dakota. The town I grew up in is 150 people, so a small town. Um, and so the the lady that used to write the column, I don't remember what her, her column name was, she had a she said she was retiring from it and was wondering if anybody would wanted to to write it. And so I emailed the Tribune and asked if I they let me write a column and so they emailed me back and asked me what I'd write about and how much I would charge. And I'm not a very good businessman because I responded back. I didn't know I was going to get paid for this. (laughs) But so I think when I first started, I got paid five bucks a column. It's up to 10 bucks a column now after 13 years. So (laughs) two cents a word, but uh, it's generally your pay. Oh yeah. Since each column is roughly between 500 and 600 words. Um, So it's the second, first and First and third Wednesday of every month is when it's a weekly paper. So my column, The Ramblings, comes out first and third Wednesday of each month. And um, like I said, over the, so I've written probably well over 300 columns, I guess, for them. And some come easier than others. Some days you sit down and what I think I'm going to write about doesn't even end up being that by the time I get to the end of the column. But usually it's just things that I've experienced that, and I'll put, I guess it would be under the, the humorous genre of columns, mm-hmm. but um, so I write about things that have been happening in my life. And it was had a lot more material when the kids were little because when the kids are growing up, you always got stupid things that they're doing that are. Um, so now it's probably shifted more towards cocktail t- recipes. Yeah, talking about <laughs> aging and middle age. And like the one I sent you about the, you know, the, going to the Irish fair and just yeah. little things that happen to you and just kind of. Humor, humorize it a little bit. And um, like I said, it's it's only about 500, 600 words, but sometimes that takes an hour to write. Sometimes it takes three hours to write that. And because um, it's due the first and third Monday of every month. And usually I don't write it until the first or third Sunday of every month. <laughs> I'm a procrastinator. I need Hopefully that. your editor is not listening to this <laughs> yeah, right no. now. At least you're a consistent procrastinator. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, as long as you make I, deadline, yeah, I suppose right. the editor won't yeah, care. Yeah, I do till noon Monday. So, but, And there's sometimes where an idea will come to me and I'll write it and send it to her a week early. But for the most part, it's usually a few days prior. And, and I'll spend the, the two weeks between generally thinking of, uh, I think it's just part of being observational. You just always see things happen and add to 
sometimes a fictional twist to something that's occurring. Yeah, sure. There's no reason that you have to be, you know, completely accurate with them. So, uh, you know, and, uh, my readers recognize that, that, that maybe some of it's not, you know, 100% truthful, but we're living in a post-truth era, so that's it's all right. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe Daniel and I or the podcast will appear in the next rambling. So. I wonder. I hope it's in a good light. <laughs> so I think we're down at our time here. We can do some quick hitting questions for okay. you, Josh. So just uh, uh, top of your head sort of answers. Uh, tell us a favorite movie of yours. Uh, I like Forrest Gump, uh, Angela's Ashes. Smoking a Bandit. Oh, you can't go wrong that's with a, that. That's a wide yes. variety. Yes. <laughs> Good to like, have broad taste. Yeah, I like movies that are based on fact, but I also like funny movies occasionally. But uh, yeah, Smoking a Bandit, I just remember from my grandfather, who was a woodworker, took me to it when I was like 12, which I don't know why he took a 12-year-old to Smoking a Bandit. <laughs> but I just remember him on his knees in the theater laughing so hard, just slapping the seat in front of him. I was watching him more than the movie because when you're a kid, you're only watching the car chases, and then you realize later that Jackie Gleason's a genius, you know, because that's who my grandfather had grown up with. So he was seeing Jackie Gleason and with his non-script. He had no script for the movie. They just said Jackie being funny in the script. And oh, perfect. So he ad-libbed the entire movie. So. Oh, what a great memory. Uh, what was the first concert you attended? Uh, the Oak Ridge Boys at the North Dakota State Fair. And was that 1982, I believe? It poured rain for the first hour, and so we sat in the rain, and it was me and my brother and my mom and dad, because my parents were both country music fans, so we went listen to the Oak Ridge Boys. I don't think they'd been around very long at that point, probably the early 80s, so. But I remember it was cold, because it rained, and then it, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> we had to sit tough. and wait for them to come out. They wouldn't come out until it quit raining, so. <laughs> the waiting game. So yeah. if, if it wasn't Shadron State College, what would you call this place? Uh, probably Faber. Oh. Faber on the frontier, maybe. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> Get Bluto and the gang to show up. <laughs> I actually tried visiting that place, too, and it's been tore down. The, what college was that? Uh, Oregon State. Or oh, okay. University, in Eugene. Which one's in Eugene? University of University, Oregon. Yeah, okay. it was on their campus. And I guess they'd approach Missouri State, and Missouri State told them, no, you're not filming the movie like that on our campus. <laughs> oh, loss. <laughs> so, but, so, yeah, the, the Delta House has since been torn down. But uh, <laughs> Unfortunate. You're, of course, referencing Animal House, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Another movie I probably watched when I was much too young. But. Just for those listeners who, <laughs> yes. who weren't aware of yeah. <laughs> the favorite college. Maybe we could have another Animal House uh, deep dive podcast. Or, oh, I imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Josh, how many times have you been to the top of Sea Hill? Uh, probably about six times because I always hide the ammo box for my FYI class as their missions they have to do every other week. So I have an ammo box that I'll put instructions in, and then I give them a hint as to the location of the ammo box. And one of the locations is always Sea Hill. <clears throat> so, uh, And I usually, classes, their missions are Thursday morning at 9.30, so I would go out Wednesday evening and hide it. Um, I think last year when I went out, it was about 9 o'clock, and I got up towards the top, and I heard um, a couple of college students that were, I recognized the noise as, you know, to a male and female college student getting to know one another, so ah. I decided to come back later <laughs> to hide the ammo box, but, so I was up there like 11 o'clock at night with a little flashlight, I was, all I could think about was a mountain lion taking me down, <laughs> and nobody would ever find me up there, because my clue hadn't been sent out yet, but, 
but that's got to be a rough one. <laughs> Wait until the next boom. <laughs> yeah, the Where's next Josh? <laughs> that, that is our, our yardstick for keeping an eye on you. So we talked about uh, Edna Workall, whether or not it's haunted. and uh, But I really like this last question that Alex wrote down for you, an Irish folk song. And I always think, what, what was that name of that group that um, – Oh, the Clancy Brothers? No, the High Kings, oh, the High is, Kings. is the, yep. the group that I've listened yep. to. I, I just really went to see theirs. them last oh, month. That very good. In Minneapolis at the Irish Fair. And actually had a few pints with um, their lead singer, uh, Finbar Clancy, when I was in Ireland. Nice. We went to the Clancy Brothers Festival. Um, and it was all the cousins playing, because all the Clancy Brothers are dead, but the, their cousins and nephews were all playing. And the pub across the street, we went over there afterwards, and all the cousins rolled in and... We had an Irish lockdown. They they locked the doors. You can leave, but you can't come back in. And they they sang until three thirty in the morning, just one after another. Fantastic. Finbar walked in and first thing, he, well, he staggered in. He goes, "Does anybody have a guitar?" <laughs> Someone handed him a guitar, and he played for like three hours. It was the most amazing thing ever. And um, just one person after another would pipe up and sing a song, and you didn't dare speak if it was a female singing a sad ballad. That was, oh. you didn't make a noise at that point. <laughs> but no, it was probably one of the best experiences I've had, and especially in Ireland. I mean, it was just, it was a blast. And then finally, about 3.30 in the morning, the pub owner, he's like, it's 3.30, have you no shame? Go, <laughs> go home. He kicked everybody out. <laughs> Could you sing us an Irish song? Oh, sure. A sad one? I mean, they're all most of them are sad. But I suppose so. There's some sad bells. There's some that you can swing a pint to with the... <coughs> I guess we could do the parting glass. That's it. Parting glass is one of my favorite ones. The High Kings do a version of it. There's a little peppier. But the, um, basically, it's a song that they usually sing at funerals. It's called The Parting Glass. And it's, it's sang from the point of view of the deceased, basically. Okay. So... Set it up a little bit. All right. All right. I don't know about this, but <laughs> give her a shot. For all the money that e'er I've spent was spent in good company, and all the harm that e'er I've done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be to you all For all the comrades that here I've had Who are sorry for my gone away, and all the sweethearts that e'er I've had, who would grant me one more day to stay. But since it falls unto my lot, that I should rise, and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be with you all. Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great job, Josh. Oh, thanks. I will, I'll swing a pint to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was more of the sad ones. But the... <laughs> yeah, I used to, when I was in Rapid City, we had a group called Donnybrook that I started. That was, it was basically we'd get together once a month and sing Irish songs. And it was fun. We haven't done it for years now. I thought about starting it on campus, but I don't know who would be interested. But 
We might have some takers. <laughs> we might have some yeah. takers. Some Donnybrook. Yeah. Because Donnybrook means free for all in Ireland, basically. Then. Okay. So I thought, yeah. We used to do it in Rapid once in a while. So I've always thought about giving it a shot here, but I don't want to tread on the toes of any of the English professors or, or the the music professors, you know. No. <laughs> We're all one big happy yeah. family. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Uh, well, awesome. Well, thank yeah. you, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun. Fun visiting with you guys. So. Good well, luck with your podcast. Well, you're welcome anytime. All right. Thank you. <laughs> and that's all from us.